praise God. Amen. I woke up this morning very happy to be alive, to be in the house of God. I thought it would be a little cooler outside, but it was very warm the moment I walked out. I walked, open my doors like, oh my God, no. And uh, I'm not the guy who complains about the cold. I love the cold, so I can complain about the heat, praise God. And I came to church knowing that God was going to do something special today because he's put something on my heart to share with the body. And uh, we started our new series last week called The Good F Words. And, and what it really stemmed from was God was just speaking to my heart for a couple of months. And, and he, he gave me some things to preach over the church. And all of them started with the letter F. So it just kind of went together. I'm going to preach about good F words. And so last week we started and we talked about faith. And we talked about faith in, 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 in response to the revelation of God. How the Bible defines faith is how man responds to how God reveals himself. We see in the Old Testament, God reveals himself to Abraham. And, and Abraham follows the word of the Lord. And, and God proves himself to Abraham to be a provider, to be a promise-keeping God. And then we see God reveal himself to Moses in the form of a burning bush. And, and Moses follows God. And God reveals himself to Joshua in the form of an angel, the captain of the Lord's army, and, and so forth. And how do you respond to God's revelation in your life? And the deeper your revelation in God, the deeper your response to the presence of God will be in your life. The more you experience God, the more you will know him for who he is in your life. Amen. And this week, I kind of want to continue in our series. I, I don't want to give you the word just yet. I want to kind of go through a word search through our verse and see if we can find our word together. And I'm in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to start my verse in verse 12. And I want to give you some backdrop before I go into what I want to speak about. And that's in, in the book of Colossians, especially in this piece of scripture, the apostle Paul is writing to this church. And he's in this section of the letter, he's writing to them about how to live the way Christ made you alive. Amen. How to live in the life that Christ gave you and what you should and what you should not be doing. And, and it's, it's great because Paul gives them these number of things that they should not do. And then I'm going to read some things that Paul says you should do. Amen. And so Paul, Paul gives them like five mega things that you cannot do and that you should not be doing. And you don't have to turn there. I'll read them in verse five. <clears throat> Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality. And the whole church said, oh my. Impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. So Paul gives them five ginormous things that they can just, you should not be associated with these things. Why? Because Christ has called you out of them, and you should put that to, somebody say, death in your life. But Paul goes on because, you know, sometimes it's easy to let go of the big sins. I wish I had a witness in the house. Sometimes it's easy to let go of the big things. It's the little things. So Paul goes into what Christians might consider five smaller things. And before someone thinks I'm being sacrilegious, let me just tell you that in the scripture, especially the Old Testament, all sin wasn't the same. Each sin had different punishments. All sin served the same purpose. It separates you from God. But all sin, we can't just blanket and say it's all the same. That's why Jesus said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In other words, let the punishment fit the crime. So Paul now, he gives five humongous things. Now he gives five smaller things that all Christians should still stay away from. Can I read them for you real quick? I, I want to I I read this real quick. It says, but now you must also, also. I'm an also kind of guy. Like, I, I always get caught up in the also. I always fail the also test, Always. Like, my wife's like, honey, can you put the dishes in the dishwasher? And I did that. You never said put it to wash. 
And I missed the also. I forgot the, I should have also put that to wash. She's like, honey, can you change the baby's diaper? And I'm like, sure, not a problem. Did you also put the clothes away? No, I didn't. I didn't do that. Can you throw the diaper away? I fail the also test all the time. And Paul's like giving the Christians, like, this is the also test. He's like, you should also forget and put away from your life anger. Oh, my. If you're in anger management, don't feel guilty. Oh, my. Rage. Malice. Slander. Another word for gossip. And filthy language from your lips. Oh, my. So Paul gives the five humongous things that Christians might consider it, and then he backs it up with five other things. So, so far, Paul has mentioned ten things that Christians should not do. But Paul's a good guy. He's going to give you five things to counter those ten things that you should not be doing. Amen? And the host just said, praise God. We should be excited right now. Paul's going to give us some equipment for our armor. And so Paul says in verse 12, now I'm back at verse 12. Therefore, meaning in light of the ten things you should not be doing, Therefore, he's transitioning now because I told you all these things you shouldn't do. I'm going to tell you some stuff. As God's chosen people, I love that word chosen. Chosen because it tells me that my identity is in who he says I am and that he chose me and not what I have and not what I do, but in who God says I am. My identity is found in somebody say Jesus. But chosen is not an F for us. We got to move on. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy. I love this word holy because holy means that you got to live set apart. Holy means that you can't live like the world. Holy means that there's a difference between the way we live and the way the world lives. And it's not in our clothes. It's not in what we do and where we go. It's how we act and how we love. You've got to be set apart. And so, and so in, the, in the Old Testament, when something was holy, it meant that it was set apart for the use of God. So God says, you are chosen, like I chose this guy, and he's holy because I set him apart for a purpose in my will. Are you with me so far? But holy is not an F word, so I got to move on. And dearly loved. I love this to know that I'm dearly loved. Like, I'm not just loved. I am dearly loved. Like, you love me, but my kids dearly love me. You're near and dear to God's heart. Like, God thinks about you. God cares about you. You're his child. The way I think about my kids when I'm not with them. And I was, I left my kids with their grandmother while I went on vacation with my wife. And I thought about them all the time. Almost, almost regretted not bringing them. But then I got over myself. I was like, no, this is the right choice. Lucy, you did the right thing. It's the right choice. You needed R&R. &R, you needed time with your wife. You needed to get away. But I think about them all the time. Why? Because they're dear to me. But dearly loved is not enough words. we got to move on. Now Paul says, clothe yourselves with compassion. And I just love how the way Paul describes clothe yourselves. Because I thought about the weather. And I think about the cold weather. I check the forecast. I see it's going to be brick outside. And I'm just like, i got to put a sweater on. i got to get my coat on. And determining the forecast determines really how I'm going to dress for the day. And it tells me that I have a responsibility to put on some garments in order to stop myself from being influenced by the outside world. So Paul says, clothe yourself. Notice what he doesn't say. And God's going to put this on you. We got, some, we got some responsibility in this walk with Christ. He says, clothe yourselves like a garment. Put on compassion. I love the word compassion because it means to be moved towards the needs of others. The Bible says that Jesus had compassion on the crowds. And he healed their sick because of it. He worked miracles among them because of it. He met the needs of the poor because of his compassion. But compassion isn't an F word. We got to move on. 
bless God. He says, be kind, have kindness, meaning meaning to be gentle towards one another, meaning kindness, meaning to, to have this, this sense of generosity and be considerate and deal friendly with people. But kindness, as you can tell, if you pass the second grade, isn't an F word. We got to move on. He says, humility, meaning having the quality of being humble, thinking of others as greater than yourself, no matter the circumstance, legitimately thinking that other people are better than you, thinking higher of them, and that allows you to treat them in a certain capacity where you never think too highly of yourself. It's when we think too much of ourselves that we start treating our brothers like trash, our sisters like trash. But that's not an effort. We got to move on. He says, gentleness. He's, he's giving you a lot. This is like a seven-piece suit. You're going to be hot by the end of this. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, 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 meaning to be gentle with one another, knowing that no one is perfect. Knowing that no one has it all put together, so you should be gentle with people. Don't be so harsh and come down so hard on them. And then he says, and then he says, and patience. It's the fifth thing right there. Patience. And, and we know that patience and gentleness, those are not F words. And patience is a great word. It means to be slow to anger the way God is slow to anger with you. It means to love people without limits because God loves you without limits. And so you can't, there's no possible way that you can frustrate me because God is with me. God is in me. And I have God on my side. And so you can sin against me. You can do things wrong to me. But I'm going to be patient with you because God's with me. And I'm slow to anger. Remember before he said you got to put away anger. you got to put away rage. So Paul's giving like counters to everything he said. All the things, if you go back in your own time, what you really should do and read the Bible is he'll give you things to counter what he said earlier. And he's saying, instead of having malice and anger and rage and slander and all those things and filthy language, he said, have these. And then he says, he says, bear with each other. And I love that because what it really means is to carry the burdens of one another. It means to carry the burdens of one another, to, to not just say, oh, you're on your own there. I'm going to write you off because you upset me. He said, no, bear the burdens that people have because you never know what someone's going through. You never know how hard their life is in this season. You don't know what hardships they're enduring, what circumstances have come against them. You just don't know. And so you should bear with one another. But the word bear, it's a great word, but it's not an F word. And then, and then he says, he says, he says, and forgive. Oh, we just found our F word. Oh, oh, God. He said, for, and, and forgiving, saying that in church sometimes is like cussing. Forgive one another if any of you, notice the any there. In the Greek, any means any. Has a grievance, that's a big word for problem or an issue or drama. We'll just put drama. We're in Bridgeport. Against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as so he doesn't just tell you to do something, he gives you a frame of reference to understand how we're supposed to forgive in light of what we've been forgiven. This is Paul. Couldn't have put it any better. Come on, let's bow our heads and pray before we go forward. Dear Heavenly Father, you know our hearts, our minds. You know every person that needs to hear this word today. You know why you laid it so heavily on my heart. So, Father, now I ask you that you would speak to your children, open our hearts that we might hear from you and know that you are speaking to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, so Paul is right into this church and he's like really getting down all these things and he gives these five amazing things and then he gives them a, a six and a seven, which are bonuses. He's like, bear with one another, which is really hard if you've been in church any length of time. You know, sometimes bearing with people is not hard. Bearing with your boss at work is not always easy. 
bearing with your friends is not always easy. Your family, it's not always easy. But then he says, if you have a grievance, a problem, or a drama with someone, that you should forgive them as the Lord has forgiven you. And so, and so I think it's important for me before I go forward to lay this frame of reference and this, this foundation of what forgiveness really is in the context of the Bible. Are you with me today? And so forgiveness, by definition, is one of the main parts of justification. Forgiveness, see, in the pardoning of sin, God absolves the sinner from condemnation of the law. And that on account of the work of Christ, he removes the guilt of the sinner's sin from them. He removes the liability they have to eternal wrath on account of what Jesus did. Pastor, what did you really just say? In other words, biblical forgiveness is God taking the punishment of man's sins and placing it on Jesus. This way, God fulfills the law and punishes sin, but not in us. He does it in Jesus. So God literally pardons us and frees us from this huge debt of sin that we owed to God. And in the scripture, all sins are forgiven freely. The sinner is by this act of magnificent grace of God. He is forever free. Somebody say forever. Not temporarily. You are forever freed from the guilt and the penalty of your sin because this is the peculiar will of God that only he can do. It suited God. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see that God's plan was forgiveness. The psalmist writes in Psalm 130 verse 4, but with you, talking about God, there is forgiveness. That should excite you. That you may be feared. God forgives us so that we may be made righteous and turn to him in reverent fear, love, and respect. Mark chapter 2 verse 5, Jesus, it says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Old Testament, New Testament, forgiveness is God's plan. It is God's desire. It is God's will. So God forgives the sin of man that he may be able to, somebody say, justify them. He wants to justify you. Well, pastor, that sounds like a really preachy, churchy word. What does justification mean? I am so glad you asked because I have a good definition of that. It is the judicial act of God by which God pardons all the sins of those who believe in Christ and accounts and accepts and treats them as righteous in the eyes of the law as if they conformed to all its demands because Jesus conformed. I put it to you like this. When you accept Christ, God looks at you as if you have never broken one commandment, never ever sinned, never ever had sin in you or on you. And he does this based on the life of Jesus only. So God gives you justification. Right? But that God is, is, is like, he really takes it up a notch. Because God, you know, God is the standard raiser. God is the one who always kicks it into high gear. God doesn't stop there. The reason that God had to justify you is because God wanted to get to the end goal, which was God wanted to reconcile you. And that, that, that might not ring. I kind of had the same reaction when I first, when I was younger, heard the word reconcile. It didn't really just like jump off the page, and I kind of had the same blank stare as some of you all got right now. And so God forgives, and then God justifies, and then God reconciles. And reconciliation means the bringing together of two parties that are estranged or in dispute. Jesus Christ is the one who brings God and man 
with salvation as the result of the union together. So reconciliation by definition means this, to change or exchange. So God changes our enmity with him to friendship. Our sinfulness to righteousness. He reconciles you. I wish you would grab this. I wish you would grab a hold of this. He takes you from being an enemy to being a bestie, just like that. BFF for life. God reconciles us. He takes our attitude of hostility and turns it to one of peace towards him. And this is crazy because in the Old Testament, this is not the way it's supposed to work. Matter of fact, in biblical times as a whole, if I offended you, it's my responsibility to go to you and make it right. If you offend me, it's your responsibility to come to me and make it right. If your neighbor has wronged you, it is their responsibility to go to you and to make it right. We see it in scripture, Matthew 5, 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, meaning not that they harbor something against you, but that you actually did something to them and so they can hold this against you. So you've offended someone, right? It says, leave your gift, meaning God doesn't even want your gift if you have unforgiveness. There, before the altar and go, first be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. This is amazing because in the Bible, the person who wronged someone is supposed to go to the one who they've wronged and ask for forgiveness and reconcile. But God breaks this mold in that we wrong God, in that we sinned against him, in that he was righteous, we were wrong. But yet God puts in motion the plan of reconciliation that we might receive forgiveness of sins when in actuality we should have gone to him. But because we couldn't, he came to us. This is getting really good. I know you guys aren't saying anything because you are so amazed and you are so flabbergasted of the goodness and the greatness and the grace and the love and the majesty of your God that you're just like I know it trust me I had the same response it was just like God did all of that when he didn't even have to we read it in 2nd Corinthians 5 19 that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself So in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, meaning that he was the reconciler, if that's a word. I have to check my dictionary. He reconciled us. Didn't have to. Mind equals blown. God is awesome. I'm going to give you five seconds to give him praise. Just five seconds. That is amazing that what he did. So forgiveness deals with justification. Justification deals with reconciliation. I've built a really good foundation that we're going to go back to in a minute, and I hope you're saying amen then. Praise God. So, I have to understand that my debt has been paid. A couple of months ago, I got a call by this group that I wasn't trying to hear from, and they kept on calling my phone, and I don't pick up my phone in general, let alone if I don't know the number. I'm not picking up my phone. My ringers are literally always off. You're better off texting me. And so I, I took I finally pick up the phone one day, and this is a group called Merimed Group. And apparently, Merimed said that Lewis owed them money. I'm like, I've never even dealt with you, Merimed. I don't even know who you are. Where are you based out of? Oh, we're in Wisconsin. I definitely don't know you because I'm from Bridgeport. Oh, but this is in regards to St. Vincent's in Bridgeport. I'm like, oh, hold on. Let me get Lewis for you. 
I don't know who you are. And so she proceeded to tell me that I owed them like $900. I'm like, what about my insurance? Your insurance only covered so much. Like, it's a scam. I'm just like, insurance is a scam. They told me I had a fever and charged me $5,000. This is crazy. Don't go to the ER, praise God. So listen, so I, I made a payment plan. And it felt like this payment plan took nine years. I want to be, a, you know, a stand-up guy. I want to pay my bills. I'm not going to leave it out there. I got to take care of what is mine. And so I, that's being a good story. Side note, anyways. So I go and I set up this payment and, and I gave them like 400 up front. And then I was paying them 100 bucks a month. It was like 1000 something dollars I owed them. And so they were like taking out 106.88, and it felt like five years. And so I called them last week, and I'm like, when's the, next, when's the last payment? He said, Mr. Burgos, your next one is the last one. And I was just so relieved. It's like, praise God, I can put that back into my savings budget. I can just go, I can give it to some poor kid. I can just go buy snacks. I can eat lunch now. Praise God. I was so excited. And when I, when I saw it hit my account, I, I looked at my phone. I was like, yes, take that, Merriman. Like, I paid you. Leave me up. I felt free. You ever, you ever made that last car payment? Oh, the whole church should be like, bless God. Some of you older folks, you made that last house payment. You were like just praising God that Sunday. And then, and then you, you, so you spent five years paying this car off. They send you a title. By now the car is no good, so you got to get rid of it. Got to buy another one, do the whole process all over again. And I, you, I was so, I remember I paid off my Mazda. I was the happiest little Puerto Rican without a beard in life. I was excited. I was just so happy because I felt this burden come off of me. My insurance went down. I can save $289.94 a month now because I paid off my car. How much more should we be excited because this debt of sin has been lifted from us? How much more, now that we understand what it is to be debtless because of God's grace and mercy, should we then turn around and forgive others? And so you know me, if you're here today for your first time, I preach with three simple points. Here's my first point. You should write this down. If you're not taking notes, take notes because people who take notes go to heaven faster. That's all I heard. I'm not going to test a theory. Um, here's point number one. Because I've been forgiven, I can forgive. Really simple. Because I am forgiven, I can forgive. It is the people of God who have been forgiven of their sins who should be the best suited to live a life of forgiveness. It is the people of God who are doing the will of God who have been forgiven great debts of sin. Oh, I wish you would tell the truth of how bad you were. How much dirt you done did in the streets. How many people you've hurt. How many lives maybe you've broken. But God has forgiven you. You see, imagine yourself to owe somebody $100,000, and every month you're making payments on this $100,000, and these payments are crippling your finances. They're taking you, and you can barely do anything because you have to make these big lump sum payments. And then you have somebody who owes you $10,000. So you got a guy who you owe 100 they owe you ten. And the reason you can't have this guy who owes you 10000 stop paying you is because if he stops paying you, you ain't going to have nothing to give to this guy who owes you, you owe 100000 to. You follow me? But if the 100000 is forgiven, how much more can you forgive that small person who owes you 10000 And so the point that I'm trying to illustrate is the greater debt is the debt that Christ forgave us. And so Paul is imploring the church to clothe yourself with forgiveness as Christ, your Lord, 
has forgiven you. Clothe yourself with forgiveness. It is the forgiven who are now in a position to forgive. And so Paul says in verse 13 right there, he says, he says, and bear with one another and forgive people as you see fit. Is that what it says, right? Oh, no. It says, and forgive people that you don't have to fully forgive, but just forgive them in words, but not in action. That's what it says, right? It says, forgive them, but you don't ever have to deal with them again because they hurt you. Oh, my fault. That must be the Lewis version. It says, forgive them according to how you feel that day. Oh, that, that's the version that some of us read. It says, forgive them on your terms, but not God's terms. It says, forgive them as the Lord has forgiven you. And instantly this leads to complications because Christians don't like to forgive. It's the craziest thing in the world that the forgiven don't want to forgive. Oh, man. Because truth be told, the church, and I mean the church across the world, across the United States, we struggle with real forgiveness. Because you, you much rather be angry because you find strength in anger rather than finding strength in God. You much rather deal with hidden rage and not really forgive. You, you much rather become experts at disguising our true feelings and neglecting to forgive as we are commanded. You rather harbor hate and nurture neglect. You much rather rally people around you to hate the people you hate. You want people to support your unforgiveness. You want people to support your ungodliness. We become proficient in lying to self. We become proficient in being disobedient to God's word and only forgiving in the ways that we desire. We forgive who we feel and how we feel. But secretly, we still hate. We still hurt. We still have disdain. We still have ungodly mannerisms and reactions to those who have hurt us. But yet Jesus forgave. He received those who hurt him. Even as they were crucifying him, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Some of us, we should say forgive us because we know exactly what we're doing. Forgive us, God, because we hate that person and we know it's against your will. Forgive us, God, because we hold this hate and this hurt against people and we know you have told us not to. And so God is speaking through Paul and he's telling the church that you should completely forgive. Notice who Paul is talking to. Paul is talking to Christians. He is not talking to lost folks. He is talking to the church in Colossus and he says to them, you must fully forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. How did God forgive you? God made his way to you. He didn't wait for you to come to him. So how should you forgive others? You should make your way to people and say, you know what, I'm, I forgive you. Because God's working in me and God's doing something in me. But we like to partially forgive people. We like to just forgive on our terms. I'll, I'll forgive them, but I never want to see them again in my house. Mm-hmm. I'll forgive them, but they, they, they better never come by my job. And if they step foot in my church, I, as if you own it, or I own it, like God owns this thing got a list of people you don't want around you and we have these things in us and maybe for you it's not that fierce maybe for you it's just I just don't want to deal with them you have to ask yourself am I really forgiving as Christ forgave this this is complicated because some people's lives are defined by their hurt some people some people find purpose in their pain and what they do, and that's okay sometimes, but sometimes you find so much purpose in your pain that you don't forgive those who caused it. 
and you hold on to it and you harbor all these feelings. Here's point number two. Partial forgiveness is complete disobedience. Yeah, partial forgiveness is complete disobedience before God. You see, God instructs us to fully forgive, not partially. God instructs us to fully let go of the hurt, the pain, not partially. Are you with me, church? Listen to Mark eleven twenty five. 25. And whenever you stand praying, Jesus talking here, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Jesus in this verse talking about praying while you have unforgiveness. He's like, if you're going to pray while you have unforgiveness, you should first ask for forgiveness of those people and forgive those people who have hurt you. Because if you pray while you are with this unforgiving heart, what, what he's saying is this, is you don't have a full understanding of God's grace. Because, because you want to take someone who has hurt you in a small way and hold them accountable to this hurt, but you who have sinned against God in many thousands of hundreds of millions of ways, and he's forgiven you completely, that fact that you can have the mindset to be unforgiving shows that you don't have the mind of grace and the mind of God. And so what, what Jesus is saying is that, is that how can you expect God to hear your prayers Based on your merit when you don't have the mind of grace. If you don't have the heart that says, no, I know I'm forgiven, so I must forgive. If your mind says, I won't forgive because I this and I that, but I'm saved, sanctified, check yourself. You have to really check yourself. Because Jesus is clearly saying that if unforgiveness is reigning in you, you don't have an understanding of grace And you might think that you're forgiven because you're good and not because of God. And so he says, no, even before you pray, (laughs) if you want my father to forgive you, even before you pray, you've got to forgive others. You've got to release them. Jesus is speaking some really hard truths. In other words, we think that God will answer our prayers because we're good people, Jesus is saying. He says you pray with this unforgiveness because you think that God's going to answer prayers just because you're good. But it's not like that. He answers prayers because of his grace. Nothing else. Not because of what I do or how I act. It's because of his grace. But again, we have to forgive others as our Father forgave us. Have you known all the sinfulness you have, all the debt of sin that is in your life that God forgave you? You have to find it in your heart. You see, God God loved you so much that he forgave you and then he justified you. And then God did the unthinkable and he reconciled. You know, another, another great word for reconcile is the word restore. To bring back to original purpose. So God reconciles you, meaning he takes you from that life of sin and he puts you back to where he originally intended for you when he created Adam and Eve and he had you in mind. He brings you back to the restoration. He brings you back to that point of where he wanted for you all along. Well, Pastor, what 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 exactly are you trying to say then? I'm so glad you asked. You guys asked really good questions. This is great. What I'm saying is... How is it that as a Christian, you can forgive people but not restore people? How can your friend hurt you 
and you forgive them but won't be friends again? How can family hurt you and then you forgive them and still cut them off? How can someone offend you and you forgive them but when you see them you still have rage and anger? How can you forgive someone and yet not restore them to the place they were in your life prior to the offense? And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying not to exercise wisdom when it comes to to murderers and pedophiles and rapists. I'm just talking about your brother and sister in Christ who maybe looked at you wrong and you hate them now. Or someone who's offended you because you had an open heart of offensiveness. Paul's like, you got to forgive the way God. How did God forgive? He justified and then he reconciled or restored people. Where is the godly restoration that is rooted in an understanding of his grace? How can you forgive and harbor hate? How How can you forgive and nurture neglect? How can you forgive and yet speak negative towards people of God? How can you forgive? But yet when you see that person, all you see is the hurt they caused you, not the God who healed you. Oh, but pastor, it's a process. (laughs) Process? I thank God that for Jesus it wasn't a process to forgive me. I thank God that I called on his name and my sins were forgiven. I thank God that his grace met me right in my my depravity, right in the, the midst of my dirt and sinfulness. He met me right there, and right there is where I have to meet others. I don't care how messed up they are. I've got to forgive them just like this. Because my father forgave me. Notice Paul didn't say, and forgive as the best Christian you know forgives. Because then we're all in trouble. He said, forgive as the Lord forgave. He gives us an example to follow, church. And this example is Jesus. Whatever happened to true unity in the body of Christ and through the body of Christ. Meaning when someone forgave you, you went to them like a real man, a real woman, and you said, I have held this against you, and I want to release this burden, and I forgive you. Talking about real, old school, biblical, Jesus following forgiveness. Because we, we like to forgive on our terms. We like to forgive but never deal with people again. Can I tell you something? If you're one of those people who forgive on your own terms and just cut people off, you're not following the God of the Bible. You're following the God of your belief. Whatever you believe is right. Whatever you believe at the moment, whatever your emotions tell you to do. The God of the Bible says forgive without limits. Years ago, I lost a really good friend. He was murdered by four blocks from here. Really good friend of mine. One of the hardest times of my life. But you know, his mom really showed me what forgiveness looks like. When on the court day of the sentencing of the kid who murdered her son, she stood up before the judge and pleaded for mercy for that boy. Wild forgiveness. I remember reading an article of the Amish years ago when they had the Amish schoolhouse shooting where a crazy man went in there into an Amish schoolhouse in Pennsylvania, I think it was, and just gunned down over a dozen kids, murdered them in cold blood. You know what the Amish did that night? They cooked dinner for his family because they knew that they would be in need also. 
and they didn't have Jesus the way they did. Church, whatever happened to real forgiveness? You're mad that somebody offended you. You're mad that somebody didn't say hi to you. You, you, you assume stuff about people, and so you build these things, and someone's offended you, so you get all your friends to hate that person too, and then you start all types of hardships in your life. Don't forgive your husband for the things he said to you. Don't forgive your wife for the things she did to you. Don't forgive your parents for the way they hurt you. Who are you to not forgive when the God of heaven has forgiven us for all of our sins? Here's point number three. Forgiveness without restoration is like life without respiration. Respiration is like a really big word for breathing. (laughs) And what I basically just said, you catch on the podcast, is is you trying to live and forgive without restoring the way God commands us is you trying to live and not breathe. The two are so intertwined that one can't be without the other. And there's got to be restoration. Some of you right now are thinking about family members. you got to call up and say, I'm sorry. How you doing? I love you. I'm so sorry. I've been wrong. You see, the thing is this, is that you can be wronged by someone and then react in the wrong way, and the offense you caused them by not forgiving them is greater than the offense they caused you that caused you not to forgive. Figure that one out. That you can hate someone so much that they might have done something small to you, but you turn it into something big. And now you're the one who's really offending God and not them. And God desires for us to be people who truly forgive. And here's the thing. <laughs> trying to, trying to, to, to forgive someone without restoring them is like you holding your breath and hoping that I pass out for a lack of oxygen. You trying to forgive someone without restoring them is like really similar to you locking yourself in a prison and hoping that one day I hate my freedom. It's just not the way it works. My heart literally breaks seeing the hate and the hurt that flows through the sons and daughter of God. To see that you are called by God to forgive but yet won't exercise the power that he's giving you. You see, Christ forgiving us releases us from the debt. Forgiveness deals with healing. It deals with restoration. Forgiveness is fully letting go of this backdrop of hurt and hate and completely saying, I release you from this debt. Whereas unforgiveness says, I do not release you from what you've done to me. It says, I will hold on to this debt and I will feel this way until I feel you've paid a price worth paying. Unforgiveness says, I will make it uncomfortable to be around me and I will even act like you don't exist in order to try and make you pay a price that I think you owe me. Unforgiveness says, I will rally all of my little corny friends to hate you as much as I do. And they will indirect at you all the way I do. And they will treat you like I do. Because I am unforgiving. And I am supposed to be a Christian. But I am ungodly. And the God that I'm serving is not this God. It is the God of self. It's the God that makes me feel good. Because I don't have to forgive you. Because I think you are terrible. I think you're corny, and I think you're fake, and I think everybody has you wrong, and you get on my nerves. No, you are ungodly. And Paul says, put away slander. Put away anger. Put away rage. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourselves with 
kindness. Clothe yourselves with gentleness and patience. And then he says, bear with one another. Bear with one another. Because you don't know what someone else is enduring. You've got to forgive and release yourself of these burdens. Unforgiveness screams, I'm still hurt by you. But forgiveness shouts, God has done a work in me. The other day, I went home on a Monday night. I believe it was a Monday. It was a terrible day, so I think it was a Monday. And I opened my door, and my friend, my wife was home with her friend and her three-year-old daughter. And, and we had a good time playing. Her daughter comes and gives me a big hug. And I got to this point where I was giving my daughters a bath. And I'm in the bathroom. And I give my daughters a bath. Myla and Arya just playing in the bath, just throwing stuff around. And her daughter's standing right there watching us. And she wanted a bath too, but I don't bathe other people's kids, praise God. And she's like, I'm talking about it. And I just shouted out, oh, no. And she's like, what? And I'm like, Myla pooped on the floor. And she's looking, I don't see no poop. I don't see no poop. I'm like, it's invisible poop. And she looked at me like, like there's such a thing as in, and like she's not going to think I'm, I'm trying to play her because I'm her pastor. Like, and so for five minutes, I convinced this girl that she's got invisible poop all over her feet. I'm like, you're stepping all over it. And then she walked to her mom like, it's all over the rug now. Why would you do that? What a terrible house guest you were. You can't come back over. You got invisible poop all over my house. You've done all these things. She just like. So I gave her a, a little cup full of invisible poop scrubbing bubbles. It was really just suds from the bath. And so I, I give her this cup, and I walk back out of, the, out of the bathroom, and she is on her butt, and she got her feet in the air, and she's scrubbing her feet. And she's just scrubbing her feet. And as I went to bed that night, I thought about this precious little girl. And she's so sweet. And, and I, I thought about her. And then I thought about how many times Satan gets us to believe something that's a total lie. And how Satan gets you to do things that you think you have to do and you don't got to do them. And then I thought, how much worse is it when Satan tricks you into not doing something you're supposed to do like forgive you know how he does that he says they should come apologize to you well they were the ones that were talking about you on social media they should apologize to you you see Satan likes to put the burden and the responsibility on others but the Bible makes it clear that a force see I told you I was building a foundation earlier. He said, forgive as God forgave. How did God forgive? God reconciled even though he was the offended party. You know, God is calling us as believers to go to every single person who's offended us and forgive them. Doesn't matter if they're sorry or not, we forgive them. Because forgiveness brings healing to our souls. Forgiveness brings freedom to us. I challenge you to search your heart whether or not you've forgiven the way Christ has called you to or are you just being a part of the reason why there's disunity in the body you say you forgave them but you still hate people you forgave but you won't befriend where is
is Christ in your forgiveness? Where's the reconciliation, the restoration? Where's the exchange of enemies to friends? Where's the exchange of hatred to peace? Where's the exchange from, from being distraught to being joyful? Where's the exchange from hatred to love? Where's the exchange that God is calling the church to have in the midst of our forgiveness? You see, you might wonder why this is so important because... I'll tell you, in Matthew 18, there's kind of a really big scripture that I think some of us should read when we get home concerning forgiveness. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells the story of a parable. He gives a story to teach a lesson, and the lesson that he's teaching is about forgiveness. It's like this outrageous story of forgiveness, this outrageous story of unforgiveness. And he gives this story, and he says that there was a man who owed his master, are you with me? Owed his master 10,000 denarii, or talents, excuse me. 10,000 talents. And this is key to understand that a talent was the highest measure of money in those days. It was 75 pounds of gold. Go figure out the ounces and how much that cost. That's a lot. He owed his master 10,000 of those. He owed his master 750,000 pounds of gold. Keep in mind that 10,000 was the highest in the weight system of the Greeks. It's the highest number. And the illustration that Jesus is giving is that this man owes the highest debt possible to this master. And he goes before this master. He's like, oh my God, I don't have a job. I don't got this. I don't got that. Oh my God. Don't take my family. Don't do this. And the master is moved with compassion, the Bible says. The master goes ahead and he forgives this servant all of his debt. And the whole church is like, amen, praise God. And of course, in this story, the master is God, the servant is us. And the same servant who was forgiven of so much, he walks out the doors of his master's house and sees a man who owes him about $100. And he begins to attack him physically, chokes him. Where's my money? Where's my, you owe me this. And he throws him in jail because the man didn't pay his debt. You could do that back in those days. Threw him in jail because he didn't pay his debt. And the master found out and the master was angry because the guy owed his master what in today's money is close to a trillion dollars. And this guy owed him a hundred dollars and he wouldn't forgive even though he had been forgiven. You said, I'm saying to you that God has forgiven you a plethora of sins and you can't forgive one wrong from your neighbor, one wrong from your cousin, one wrong from your friend. But that's not the part that scares me the most. It's what Jesus said in verse 34. And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. And so also, remember the also? I sometimes fail the also test. God won't fail that test. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus was really serious about forgiveness. So much so that when he gave the the Lord's prayer, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, that will be done. He got down to the part about forgive us our trespasses, meaning our sins, as we forgive those. It's, God, as I forgive, you forgive me. I'll put it to you another way. God, if I don't forgive, I don't deserve forgiveness. Why? Because not being forgiving is a sin. 
you get how this works? And so why would God forgive sins when you keep on sinning? In a way that he's telling you, you have to forgive. You have to let go. And you have to love. Would you stand with me this early afternoon? My God, can I ask you, can I ask you to search your heart today? Can I ask you to search your heart and see if there be unforgiveness in you? Can I ask you to look from the front to the back of your life? Can I ask you to survey your life and to find if there is any place where you have refused to restore, refused to reconcile, refused to love and forgive like Christ has commanded us. If you harbor something against anyone, today's a day that Christ says, release that burden. Let the healing begin because you let go of the hurt in your life. That you let yourself out of this prison of unforgiveness that causes bitterness and anger, that ruins relationships, that ruins family, that ruins churches. Come on, how will you deal with the unforgiveness in your heart today? That person you just don't like, that person you just can't stand to be around, how will you deal today now knowing you're commanded to forgive as he forgave you. You see, when I think of forgiveness, I think of all the forgiveness that Christ did for me. I think of the forgiveness of the sins that I had, the immoral life that I lived, the mistakes that I make, and that he continuously says, I forgive you, Lewis. I love you. I forgive you, Lewis. I love you. I, like, a, like a good father would do. See, my little daughter is in a crazy phase in her life where she's coloring on everything. Coloring on her white dressers that we paid a lot of money for. Coloring on our sofas. Coloring on the door, the wall. And just yesterday, I went into the room and I saw yesterday morning that she had colored on the door with the orange crayon. I said, Aria, who did this? And she said, Aria. I look at the drawer. I went to go get some clothes for Myla to change her. And I said, who did that? Avia. I went back later that day. I guess mom had cleaned it. Got Aria out of trouble. But it doesn't matter how many things she colors on. I'm still going to forgive her and love her. Do you realize that? That when you don't forgive someone, you're not forgiving God's child. God's people. And I want you to take a few minutes and search your heart and begin to pray and say, God, if there be anything in me that is not of you, unforgiveness harbored in my heart, would you, would you work in me? Would you give me the strength to forgive? Come on, how many you need the strength to release some things today? Only God can do it. You see, I can't pray over you and give you that strength. Only God can do it. I can't release the burden for you. Only God can do it. I pray today that today's a day where you find healing in your life in Jesus' name. Come on, would you lift your hands if you know God's talking to you? If you know God's dealing with you, would you lift your hands?
know God's working in you, if you know God's speaking to you about things, you know, my people, you might have to let go of and forgive and hurt you have to let go of, rather. And people you might have to restore in your life. People you might have to pursue and say, no, 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 I'm wrong and I'm sorry and I love you. And the God I serve commands me to do this and I'm so sorry that I've done anything else but what he's commanded me to do. Because if you love God, you would do what he said. You don't get upset with his commandments. You follow his heart. Because you know that what he has for you is good. What he has for you is loving. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, you know your church. Lord, you know the work of the enemy that is abounded. Trying to put unforgiveness into your children's heart, God. Some of us have been unable to let go of the hurt and the pain, God. But in this moment, I speak a word of freedom over your church, God. Freedom from the hurt. Freedom from the lies of Satan. That we'll find our identity not in our hurt, not in who's wronged us, but in you. And we will know how to treat people and how to act and how to love. Because you told us, clothe yourself with compassion, with patience, with gentleness, with kindness, with humility. God, that we would bear with one another. God, that we would forgive as you've forgiven us. That today will be the last day we live in unforgiveness, God. Today will be the last day that hurt has the final say in our life. That God, today will be the last day that this pain has defined how we'll treat people around us, God. But that we will forgive in the same manner that our Heavenly Father has forgiven us and Father even now we pray that you forgive us for being unforgiving God for this is not your desire it is not your heart's will for us God come on we need you Jesus come on if you need his strength today to help you through this process I dare you to lift your hands and say God God I need you here I am God standing in the need of prayer God here I am standing a touch from you God here I am right now trusting and believing you will strengthen me you will empower me to walk this walk to do the will of God to forgive the pain that I have God God work in me I dare somebody to shout it out God work in me that I might forgive the way you've forgiven me God oh God forgive your church for not being more like you in this God Oh, God, but you want to work anew in us. Come on, I dare somebody to give him praise right now. Begin to cry out to him. God, we need you. Come on, begin to call out to him. God, I need you to strengthen me through this process, God. I want to forgive like you forgive, God. I want to do what you call me to do, God. Come on, lift it up in this house today. The glory that.